Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and the moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, September 19, 2021. The share ID numbers for Friday, September 17th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,762. That's 17762. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 17,763. That's 17763. This morning, A Vision for You presents You Are Not a Victim. The big book raises the issue of self-will and self-centeredness and the extent to which it runs and ruins our lives. The self-centeredness of our compulsive overeating days brought us little real or lasting pleasure. The meaning and fulfillment that we hope to find in life continued to escape us, and so we continued to dig our fists into cellophane bags and bakery boxes for a sense of ease and comfort. Even when we thought we knew best, we were often proved wrong. Trying to have it our way hadn't worked as the years of our unmanageability showed. The big book states, selfishness, self-centeredness, that, we think, is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. And, of course, then we think we are victims. The big book continues. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic, the compulsive overeater, is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. The AA 12 and 12 reminds us that each of us has had his own near-fatal encounter with the juggernaut of self-will and has suffered enough under its weight to be willing to look for something better. What is that something better? The big buck tells us, first of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. We could no longer insist on having our own way on trying to control other people, or believing that we always know what's best for ourselves, what's best for the world, and what's best for everyone else. When the script didn't go our way, we thought we were victims. The big book tells us that our human will must be subordinated to a greater will, to the will of God, as we understand God, this is the great antidote to self-will run riot. 
Joining us today to speak on this very topic is Stephanie Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater from Missouri. Stephanie's dedicated to trudging this 12-step path of recovery, which of course includes carrying this message of recovery. And it's with great appreciation I welcome Stephanie to the line. Thank you, Leah. What a great summarization that you just gave I'm like okay I can just I don't need to go on anymore you've summarized it it's great you laid it all out it's perfect thank you so much everyone for having me here I want to first of all express gratitude to my higher power God Um, without God of course we all know um, as we walk this road of recovery um, without him or without it or her, she, whatever you want to call it for you, um, you know, without a higher power, we will not be successful. We will not recover. There is no hope. Uh, on page 24 of the big book, it says, you know, only God is our defense. You know, we will never have it. We will never be cured. And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. So I want to give my utmost gratitude and honor. Um, may anything I say today be honoring to the God of my understanding. I want to say so grateful for my sponsor, for the sponsor that I have that God gave me. Um, my sponsor is Ruth M. Um, from Illinois. And uh, what a gift of, of grace that God um, has made her. And she serves so selflessly. And we laugh, I think, so much. And sometimes we cry. And sometimes she's like, oh, okay, that's delusional. <laughs> you know, um, She's so loving and so honest and truthful. So I, I have such gratitude towards her and love towards her. And then a couple of people um, in the AA program, Joe and Charlie, you know, um, they are both on the other side. Um, and then... Mark um, H., and he's uh, now in heaven, too, in the big meeting in the sky. And then um, Dave F., who is still with us here on Earth. Um, Just wonderful people that have, you know, recorded um, things on social media that we can, you know, grab from and and listen to. And a lot of times Mark's um, voice from beyond the grave, you know, comes to me. And one time I had this issue about uh, step three, and I said, you know, I was doing step three and four, and I thought, well, I'm only responsible for 10% of this person's, you know, attitude. They're 90% in the wrong. And I heard right away, God brought this to my mind. Well, why don't you take 100% of your 10% responsibility? (laughs) And it was Mark's voice in my head, you know, and I I just thank God for all these people. Because with you, without you, I can't recover um, we're all in this together. I mean, if this pandemic has not brought us together, uh, you know, I don't know what will, but I mean, we're all very, very connected. So anyway, I'd like to start on page 100. It says, after all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Besides, we have to stop fighting anybody or anything. And so my husband and I were talking about this, you know, with our son, that we kind of, we actually think that we are victims um, in our addiction. You know, the whole world is wrong and we are so in the right. And even with the people that we come up against or we think that we're coming up against, you know, they've offended us and, you know, they're all wrong. Um, 
and it and it gives us an excuse this mentality this it's it's a mentality it's an attitude that we have been so wrong that we have the right to act out you know we have the right to be angry we have the right for resentments we are we have the right to uh then go and eat and we actually maybe even in our old selves didn't you i found this i don't know if it's true for you guys out there but I would make up stuff in my head and I would pick fights with people just so I could go and eat, just so I could go practice my addiction and make it better. And I looked for faults in people. I was judgmental. I had a mean spirit. I had all these things going on, everything in, you know, in the step four that we were so lovingly pointed out. And uh, I was like, you know, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to, I'm going to be resentful and I'm going to just, you know, go ahead and eat because I'm a victim, you know, and I'm not talking about people who are sexual abuse victims or physical abuse victims. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how we victimize ourselves in our own mentality, in our own actions, in our own beliefs. And that was really got me connected and got me thinking when my husband and I were talking about this because we're, it was like in the context of our son who is a recovering drug addict. And we said, you know, the biggest problem with Greg is our son. He's recovering now. He's recovered. Um, was that he thought he was a victim and that he couldn't, you know, he, he didn't fall in line with school and getting his work turned in. He thought that it was better to smoke pot and use drugs. And, you know, and I could see it in myself, of course. I thought it was better that I could go get, you know, whatever I wanted. I could do whatever I wanted. I ran the show. And that led into, and it was a great dovetail, into this line of thinking, how much am I getting connected to step three every day? You know, sometimes we gloss over, yeah, okay, yeah, we admit our, you know, that we're powerless and our lives are unmanageable. But isn't it the start of relapse not getting connected to step three every day. And I started thinking about that because I'm like, with the pandemic, I got a little bit off track and I did not relapse, but I was certainly on the road to, and my sponsor had to call me uh, not once, maybe two to three times, you know, Hey, are you okay? You have not been to meetings. You have not called me. What, what are you doing? And I let the, the life, my life kind of get in the way of that step three Stuff was starting to happen with my parents. I'm an only kid, so I'm the only caretaker of them. And I've had to enlist help from other people because it was so overwhelming. My mom has three different kinds of cancer. My dad is a heart transplant patient. They had to isolate. They had to, you know, not go out. And me being the only kid, I'm the stopgap. You know, I had to be everything to them. It's so I thought. And it was so overwhelming that I got lost. And I started getting disconnected from people, from the fellowship, and from all these really good things that, that keep me sober in my food and from alcohol, because I'm part of AA as well as the other program. And thank God I had a sponsor who was, you know, throwing me the life raft, you know, hey, hello, we're still here, is what she was saying. And I thought, you know what, I need to keep getting connected with that step three. So you know, let's go back to page 63, 60 to 63. 
And that's our step three. That's where we find it. You know, we have the description of who we are, the ABCs. We were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. We were food addicts that probably no human power could have relieved our food addiction or alcoholism that God could and would if you were sought. Great question to ask yourself every day is, am I seeking God in everything? How important is God to me? You know, um, step two proposition is this, you know, am I treating God, you know, as a genie, (laughs) you know, you need to do this, this, and this for me, for me to feel okay. And that's not exactly what's, that's not at all what step three, you know, teaches us. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we're almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. You know, we can lie to ourselves. Or we can even get into stuff that, you know what, on the outside, it looks really good. Like I take Taekwondo, right? I'm a martial artist. I'm currently trying to get a brown belt. Now that seems really good on the outside. You know, it builds discipline and stick-to-itiveness, perseverance, effort. However, if I go to more Taekwondo meetings, you know, than I do um, big book meetings, or I do Taekwondo instead of meditate, then all of a sudden, that's not really a healthy attitude. That uh, that's not really healthy. It's now no longer a healthy attitude or um, activity, because I'm putting it above God. And that's really deceiving. We can deceive ourselves even with good stuff. So we can have good motives. However, we have to really check ourselves and check in with our sponsors and check in with other people in the program. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about the motive of my heart in this? There's there's nothing wrong with seeking other people out and asking good questions. You know, we were always getting, you know, our life was all was always lived with self propulsion. Each person like an actor who wants to run the whole show. You know, that was me. I wanted to run the whole show. I was like, you know, the sun, and everything had to revolve around me. And when people weren't doing what I wanted them to do, well, you know, you had to die. You know. Thank God for for God, because I would have been in jail by now. Um, I was very, very violent person. Um, I had just murderous thoughts in my heart and in my mind. And my religious belief says, even if you think it, you have also committed it. You know, so I committed murder thousands of times. You know, there's no reason why I should be in an orange jumpsuit in the middle of my state, Missouri. <laughs> you know, in jail. Um, and now I don't think about murdering people at all. Um, that transformation, it's more like when somebody comes up and they're really aggravated, I don't ever think it's really um, at me until, you know, unless they say it. Um, I really think I'm like, man, how can I help you? You're having a really hard day. You know, it's sort of like my, my Wheaton Terry or Finley. She's a new puppy. But, man, she always comes to people, and she just does nothing but love on them. And everybody loves her. You know, I'm like, man, I could be more like my dog. You know, that would be great. And, uh, you know, so the attitude of the heart has changed. It's changed from, oh, man, this person is attacking me, to more like, how can I help you? Case in point. So about five weeks ago, I'm a, a video, I'm a TV news producer, and I needed some videotape 
cut and I can't do it on my own. So I was asking for help and my anchor that I was working with called the editor to do it. And she had the editor on speakerphone and he was going off on me because I couldn't do that job. And he's like, Stephanie's always making excuses and she's always doing this and blah. I mean, it was just one thing after another. And my anchor was going to take him off speakerphone so that I could not hear the rest of what he was saying. And I grabbed her arm and I said, no, don't do it. I want to hear what he has to say. Because if he's this aggravated, I want to see if there's any truth in it. You know, I'm curious to see if there's any truth in it. Because you know what? When people speak like that, it shows a lot what's happening in their heart. But I always find that there is also a little kernel of truth in it. Maybe there's something that God meant for me to hear in him. And I wanted to hear it. And she just looked at me. And she's like, she goes, I'm so sorry. Don't. And I said, no, don't. Don't. It's okay. And I had no hard feelings towards him. Now, the first few things I realized was that they weren't true. I really had to, I said, hey, you, you know, I'm bouncing them off people. And I'm like, do you think that's true of me? No, no, no. And I didn't, you know, go around the whole newsroom and say what happened. I just wanted to ask a question. But there was one kernel of truth in there. And it was that I don't ask for help. I don't ask for enough help from people. And I could be better at that. It's because I want control. You see? And that was part of, that's part of my character defect. But I have no harb, I harbor nothing against him. He was having a hard day. And I realized, too, that he didn't understand what I did in my job. And you know what? I was being harsh towards my bosses. And I don't have any clue about what they do. And do I like people misunderstanding me and speaking ill of me? No. So I needed to clean up my judgmental attitude towards my bosses you know, and not look at their faults, but start finding things that I like about them. And that brings me to a another point, too, in getting out of this victim feedback loop in your head. For the past year, a second-degree black belt in my dojo gave me, for my birthday last year, last September, of a journal. And he said, I want you to write down what you're learning in, in class. You know, and I thought, that's a great idea, and I, I've been doing that. But then it kind of blossomed into other things. And I said, hey, Robert, um, the second degree black belt, I said, hey, do you think I could use my journal for it? And he goes, that's the idea stuff. I was wondering, just, I was just waiting for you to like ask that. <laughs> and I said, okay, yeah, I'm a slow learner. So I started writing down just things that come into my head. And, you know, it, it turned into like this gratitude of praise and honor and glory towards God and I've been writing all these gratitudes down um, for like the past year. And I watched them how I uh, got so grateful. But in the midst of very difficult circumstances, um, 2020 was hard for all of us, right? But in it, there were some really cool things that happened. Um, and one of those cool things is that I realized that no matter what in this world happens on the outside, we can have peace no matter what if God is sought. 
another thing I've learned to do is I look for things that are right in people instead of wrong. Um, I find that things are just, it's amazing. It's just amazing what happens. Um, and then I was like, I, w- I was just like, okay, so things were, I'm looking for things that are right. And I just, I realized that too, every gratitude that I write, I've never really told people that they made the gratitude list, you know, because I'm like, who am I? I mean, I'm not all that, right? And a few a uh, few days ago last week, there was an, an anchor and she's new. She's like 27. She's the age of my kids. And she's like asking me to be her mentor and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, let me pray about that. And she was feeling kind of discouraged because on social media, they're criticizing her for her body image. And, you know, she's not like rail thin, you know, and doesn't look like a model or anything like that. She's beautiful. And she's beautiful on the inside as well as the outside. And I said, you know, um, so-and-so, her name, I said, you know, you made my gratitude list because you're always so positive. And you really do want to work. And you come up with some great ideas. And I'm not insincere in this, you know. And she just started crying, and I started crying. And, you know, it's like people need encouragement. And the big book says, you know, at the end, like, let's go back to page 103, or let's go back to 102. It says, your job now is to be at the place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God, with these, with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. You know, if you're not concerned so much about yourself, then you're not really fearful. You know, you're not going to be putting it through the lens of victimhood and how's it going to affect me and is it going to cost too much time and energy and money. You just go. You know, it's like, here I am, Lord, send me. And, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm spiritually fit, I mean, isn't there like such freedom from all that worrying and, and all that? And so I've been telling people, or when God leads me to, that they made this gratitude list, and I tell them why. Because now I don't just write down, I'm grateful for my husband. You know, that's, that's too easy now for me. I tell, I put down in the journal why and what he does. And so when I look back over the year, you know, the first day of my gratitude list is I'm grateful for my daughter, my son, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, I think God wants a little bit more depth here. And so now I look at my husband the other day and I just started tearing up because he's so sweet. And all he was doing was working and pulling out weeds in the garden. And I had such a an utter love for him. And I was just so grateful to God putting us together. And then I was looking at, you know, it just seemed like the sky was bluer and the grass was greener. And it was just a really good God day because I looked at everybody, even my neighbors who, you know, they're kind of loud and they have a barky dog and she barks whenever I'm sleeping during the day because I'm an overnight worker. And I'm like, gosh, their dog is really cute. You know, she's a big labradoodle. And I'm such a doggy person, as you can tell. 
And then, of course, I look around the house and, you know, the house needs updating and this and that. I'm like, I love this house, even though it doesn't have like the newest floors and all that stuff. And there's holes in the carpeting and we're working on it. You know, and I realize that I could I used to blame, uh, you know, that we didn't make enough money to redo the house. Well, you know what? The victim mentality told me that. And really, I had to place the blame on me. I had to turn in on me and say, I was the one who overate myself into a $27,000 debt. We couldn't do house updates. We couldn't go on nice vacations because I was wasting all the money. And I wouldn't tell anybody. I didn't even, I wasn't honest about it. And it was just, you know, that's how it was. And so, you know, if you don't invest $27,000, then you don't have the money, <laughs> you know, um, to God's wonderfulness, I, you know, the debt is gone. Um, however, I, you know, I had to work my way out of it. I had to put an action plan to it and I had to, you know, sacrifice spending it here or there, um, and putting it towards the debt. And, uh, you know, with God, all things are possible. However, I'm learning, you know, it's not a passive thing. You know, you just don't sit there and and expect God to move. You've got to put some action to it. It's like it says in the big book, you know, faith without works is dead. And so when when I get busy with God and it's all under God's leadership and his leading, well, then marvelous things really do happen. Another um, another aspect of victim mentality is we become victimizers. So if we always think we're right and everybody's wrong, then we execute them, and we are judge and jury and sentencing. You know, they're sentenced to a life of banishment, you know, in our minds, and we treat them poorly and, and things like that. And um, I certainly did that. In fact, you know, I stole from people. I stole money. I stole um, food. I stole people's hope. I stole people's time, um, people's happiness. Uh, I stole a lot. Um, it says... Uh, and they tell us in AA at least 40 people are affected by our addiction, at least. And, you know, talk about when you get to step four, that really comes through. And step eight, you know, how many people have we truly harmed? And I think we won't even know exactly how many people we really have harmed. And so, therefore, it propels me into always being somebody who's encouraging, um, always being somebody who is not going to be the stealer of somebody's happiness, but the giver of my shoulder to cry on, my ear to listen, my eyes to really see people for what they're struggling with, to see them like God sees them, um, to be somebody helpful, um, to be somebody who is just opposite of what I used to be. And that's how I make those a living amends to the world. Because I don't know how far-reaching um, my destructiveness really was. 
And so that helps me to keep walking with God too. And so each and every day I say the third step prayer as I walk into work, you know, um, and I get connected with that third step. And I find that I do um, a little less 10 step work, you know, the buttons are not there as much to push. Um, let's see where I am in time here. Oh, I've got a few, just like two more minutes here. But recently, um, my boss is going to New York and he's got a, a different job there. And everybody said, oh, you need to be the new executive producer. And, you know, um, I'm not exactly <laughs> thrilled at that prospect. It does not excite me. However, um, oh, hold on. <laughs> oh, I could speak for 30 more minutes. Okay, good. Thanks, Leah. Um, well, anyway, I'm not exactly excited um, to take this position. You know, it's something that doesn't get me in, up in the morning or I'm not really passionate about, and that's just me. And I'm thinking now after talking with my sponsor, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, um, I'm thinking about me. There's the lens. You know, after five years of being entirely abstinent, which is nothing, it's just a drop in the bucket. Um, but I'm still going back to that lens still comes up. How's it going to affect stuff? And um, my perspective has changed, you know. Um, I don't know. And the one thing that concerned me, too, is that I'm not exactly thrilled with my bosses. You know, they're not exactly my cup of tea. Um, I've, they've made all my four steps, <laughs> you know, and I'm getting better, you know, with them. I'm getting a better attitude towards them. I'm actually sending them love instead of hate and anger and murder. Um, <clears throat> however, I would be directly contacting and in contact with them every day. I'm like, oh, you know, is that something that I I want to do? No. <laughs> However, it's not all about me. And God's like, yeah, it's not all about you. Where are you going to be of maximum service to God? You know, life does not promise us to be comfort, be comfortable. Life does not say that we need to always be um, passionate, you know, and love every minute of every day. And, you know, that's not life's promise. God is very, very different. He's like, Stephanie, if you're truly not running the show, then you're not concerned. You're not even concerned about what you do for a living. And I went, oh, oh, yeah, okay. So, you know, there's a decision, uh, and I'm kind of in flux. Our newsroom is in flux. It's a revolving door. There's a lot of people quitting. Um, we've had a lot of people die. Um, you know, in our newsroom, I've had 12 deaths um, from COVID over the past year. Um, you know, guests that we've had over the years, four of them have died. Um, my best friend died in February before the pandemic hit. And then my best furry friend, um, she was a Wheaton Terrier. Uh, her name was Chloe. She died in December of cancer. Um, and, and that was on top of the 12 deaths, you know, that I have friends and acquaintances. And, and um, so it's been a really difficult 2020 
even 2021. Um, and so it's like, do I get um, peace in all these circumstances? Have I learned that through these hard times? Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, I would not trade this pandemic time um, for anything. I tread lightly when I say this, but what a marvelous time we live in. Um, and I mean this in the sense that we get to practice perseverance. We get to practice gratitude. We get to look at things in a new perspective. Even when we are grieving, even though we see people suffering, when we see difficulties, um, we get to practice a very new level of self-sacrifice. Um, you know, my family has looked to ways where we can give out healthy food. Um, sometimes we're asked to give God's money to others. Um, our time, you know. Uh, my daughter is a nursing student, and she was the first and only nursing school that they did online because they were all isolated. And when they did clinicals, uh, she would have to go down to the hospital, and everything was high alert. They were dressed in all their PPE um, gear, and it was like two masks and face masks and all this stuff. And I said, uh, Maggie, that's my daughter, I said, can I cook for the, some of these people because all of them are just getting pizza you know <laughs> these high carb you know highly processed food and I said I've got some things that I, I really would like to give back you know just to these frontline workers and like yeah I permission and so she started cooking with me and they took these massive amounts of food <laughs> and uh, she took it down and so many people were just so grateful um, to just to what we were doing, and it was just it was just a way that you know I can I can just give back in the most difficult of circumstances. So you know when I was back into that victim mentality, um, I would if if I was in that victim mentality, I would have thought of the pandemic that we brought it on ourselves. And that it's all everybody else's fault. And, you know, you got COVID because you weren't practicing the CDC guidelines, you know. It would be all this blame game. And I would have no compassion. And, um, you know, I ended up giving, getting COVID. And my daughter did too. Our whole family did. And it was back in October of 2020. And then I think a couple of weeks ago I got the Delta variant. Um, I was really tired for the past few days few days like a couple weeks ago and I mean I, I can't tell you where I got it from yeah I really don't I, I I still mask up whether you know our state has a mask mandate or not it's just you know okay what can I do to help people not get it from me or transmit it and it's just a, it's a different level of just thinking and um, you know I just live in and wanting to just serve others. And I look for new ways to find um, ways to just to look um, and to help people. Um, did anybody, like, get scared when they had to go to the ATM and push the buttons? You know, that, would, that scared me. Um, 
And did anybody get scared when they had to go through, you know, like one of these big box stores just to get, you know, um, the basics? And I was scared, you know, in the beginning. And um, now we get so used to it. You know, we're out and about and we're living life. There's no lockdown. Um, Oh, and has anybody given away toilet paper? Okay, I'm raising my hand. We gave away toilet paper. We were down to our last roll, and I gave like the last four rolls prior to that to our neighbors because there was no toilet paper. It was so funny. Um, we actually had like a toilet paper bank. <laughs> and, and I was reaching out to people on social media and saying, does anybody need toilet paper? Because we, you know, we have some to give. So stuff like that. You know, we were growing our own vegetables, and we were giving it away to local shelters. Um, just looking for stuff like that. That's what I'm talking about. You just live differently. But anyway, I was filled with fear at the beginning. And now I'm like, I was in the same store that remained open. And um, I was looking through, everybody was masked or some people weren't, but I was looking through, and this is new for me. I was looking through the aisles and I said, Lord, I just pray for the people around me. You know, I don't know who's struggling here, but I can feel tenseness. I can feel stress. I can feel a great amount of sadness um, around these people. And I went, you know, wherever I can be useful, uh, you know, I'm just going to go throughout the store and just, you know, just shop and and really just look for people to help. Sometimes I just do that because it's fun. And what a strange thing to do, right? I mean, just to go out. And sometimes I even go to like a, a big box store and I was in like one of those um, stores where they used to give out like free samples and they don't do that anymore. But um, they look through your card at the end. And this one lady, you know, she just looked so beautiful. She had this <clears throat> neon shirt on and a mask. And I, I was like, oh, wow. You know, I go, you look beautiful. And she goes, Oh my gosh, thank you. And she, we were just chatting about how snarky people are and how short people are and how they really get angry anger easily. And I said, you know, it has nothing to do with you. And I said, because you're a lovely person, you know, you're just doing your job. And I said, I think more and more people are feeling, um, you know, with they might be facing eviction, they can't make the rent, they're not um, getting the food that they need that's healthy, um, they might be living out of their their cars. Um, it's, it's just we live in such a horrible but marvelous time, horrible with what's happening, but marvelous at the opportunities that it gives us to live and to get outside of ourselves, to give more to practice better, to have all of that in our heart. And because, you know, what happens to your heart when you live outside of it, when you start doing God's will? Look, it's bigger. You want to give more. And you keep, I find I can't just give more and more and more. I, I can't give enough. And I get back so much. And I'm not even doing that to give to get back, you know, but God gives me what he wants me to have in order to give it. 
and, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you're, you're such a wonderful person. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> no, I'm a drunk and a glutton. Let me tell you, you know, what I am. However, with God, then I'm nice, you know. But I can't, except, apart from God, I'm not. I'm not that great. So that's what's happening. You know, we look for things that, that you know, we can, areas that we can give that's really, um, you know, where God directs our feet. And I was telling a sponsoree um, the other day, she was just going off on something. And I said, you know, by the time we get to step 10, these things um, that bother us maybe should be getting less and less. I didn't, you know, want to say should, but I was just calling her on some things. And I said, make sure that you spend, you know, every second of every day, you know, that's the goal. We're not going to hit it, but at least have that bar. You're getting closer to your higher power. Even when you're washing the dishes or, you know, walking the dog or doing things, you know, you've got 86,400 seconds every day. And it's not really yours to spend. Um, It's really given to you by God. And so how are we spending it? You know, are we spending it on ourselves? Because with that victim mentality, every second went to me. Every second went to somebody who offended me and how I was going to get back at them and revengeful, you know, taking revenge. Now, because of this program and this big book that tells us exactly and precisely how to gain recovery, how to get recovered, that mentality has changed. 86,400 seconds. You know, when when my feet hit the floor, when my eyes open up in the morning, I get up every morning at midnight. Now, that sounds horrible, and sometimes I think it is. (laughs) To be honest, I don't always like getting up right at midnight. However, it gives me an opportunity, and I wrote this on my um, gratitude list uh, four days ago. I get to see the first second of the day. (laughs) Second one. And and I get to say, okay, you know, God's like easy way or hard way today, stuff. I'm like, oh, it's going to be easy way today. You know, I'm already thinking of you and I haven't gone to the bathroom yet. Bathroom is six feet. <laughs> However, I get, God, I need help. I need help because I'm super tired. And uh, there's a lot that is already kind of pre-planned. Taking my mom and dad to the doctor, going to the pharmacy and getting all their prescriptions, um, picking up things that they need to eat and cooking for them um a new a nurse quit on me um and them (laughs) and she's she just you know couldn't take care of them anymore and so she quit and I'm like uh you know so we had to find a new caregiver and that's a that's a process um but I was able to wish her well and I understood I understood where she's coming from it's just been a revolving door for about six months um, and finding drivers sometimes when I can always drive them, you know. Um, but there's been these wonderful people that were former nur- nurses, and so they've become these drivers um, for a ride-sharing company. And so they're great because they can they understand how to move patients and move older adults who cannot always move. And they can put them in their wheelchairs and get out their walkers, and they know all about the durable 
you know, equipment. I'm like, what a blessing. You know, these nurses have really pivoted and they make as much money, you know, and God has gifted them with, a, you know, a livable wage and they make as, just as much money, if not even more. I mean, praise God for that. And we've gotten so creative, you know, in this day and age. And so, um, you know, that's all a part of that getting out of that victim mentality. You know, one of the the drivers for my mom and dad said, um, you know, she had a pity party for about four months. And then she got the idea of doing being a rideshare driver because she had all this wonderful knowledge about, you know, medical care. And she goes, why don't I just be a rideshare driver just for older people? And I could be reliable. I, you know, I've taken care of people and now I got laid off from my job because of COVID. You know, I'm not, she didn't work on um, a floor that they needed her. And I think she also was making a lot of money, you know. And so they found it the opportunity to, you know, lay her off. And, and I'm like, wow. She goes, I was bitter and I was resentful. And uh, so we went through, she didn't know this, but we were going through like a step four. And she's like, oh, I can see how I was playing a part in it. And I got some of the ball rolling. And I went, yeah. And she goes, how do you know this? And I go, well, I'm in two fellowships of 12-step groups. And, you know, and then I've got, you know, another um, fellowship that I belong to for the friends and family of alcoholics and, and uh, drug addicts. But I said, it's all coming down to, aren't we the authors of our own insanity, you know, when we really think about it, if we're not walking with God, if we're not reminding ourselves of his goodness and how much he does for us, his grace, when we mess up and we're angry, um, aren't we just the authors of our own insanity? Aren't we the authors of our own unhappiness? Aren't we the, the authors of, you know, our lack of peace and, I I see it every day in my life. You know, whenever I'm able to do something good, I'm like, well, man, back then I, I was the author of mayhem. You know, I was like the, the teenager in that beat up SUV that was hot pink and, you know, going through the parking lot and crashing into cars and going, it's your fault because you were there. You know, (laughs) Um, amazing um, how, once we grab a hold of God's perspective, um, that our whole look outlook, that our perspective aligns with God's. And uh, we're only able to do that if we get connected each and every day um, with that step three. I just, for me, it's just, it's vital. Um, if I'm not connected and I'm not doing and reading step three, then uh, I find myself just really funky and stinking thinking. There's another thing, too, and we're going to talk, I'm going to talk a little bit as we go through the big book. I'm in um, the third edition, so it's like 448 to 453, but it's Dr. Paul O's um, perspective on acceptance is the key. And, you know, he was looking at his wife, Max, And he, in the beginning, was like, okay, she's wonderful. He focused on all the goodness about her. And then his perspective changed. And he was like, then focusing on all the things that really bothered him about his wife. And she became more like just 
shriveling. You know, she was not thriving, and I'm I'm sure he was verbalizing all her faults to her. And, you know, she became less and less and less and less. And, you know, I would hate to be that to somebody. Um, And I don't like it when people, like, focus on my character defects. Um, And I try to just say, okay, well, how would I want somebody to treat me? And better yet, how would I want people to treat my kids, (laughs) you know? And so it gave me a perspective of what am I magnifying? You know, first of all, it's good to be connected with your character defects, but I don't try to like focus on them and really pound myself into the ground over them because that's the other side of the issue. We don't need to be pounding ourselves to the ground and and berating ourselves each and every day. However, we have to be real about our character defects. And we have to have a healthy perspective, of course. Tell ourselves the truth about it. And we have people like my editor friend at work, you know. He was pointing out a character defect. Okay, great. Um, but I don't need to focus on other people's character defects either. And um, I don't need to magnify them. And like my husband, he could use um, that fellowship of um, friends and family. You know, and he doesn't want to go. He gets really funky. He tells me I need to be a mother, better mother. He gets really angry. Um, you know, and sometimes it's like a hurricane. I feel like his anger and his outbursts of anger are like a hurricane. And he goes, I want somebody to understand me. And, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, in the beginning of my recovery, I just wanted to hit him, you know. And and then, you know, at this point in time, I understand where he's coming from. And I tell him that. And sometimes I just need to listen too and let that hurricane pass of anxiety and fear that he is feeling because it's all fear. And he's scared and he's got, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, or I say post-teen stress disorder. And and I said, what can I do to help you right now? You know, and sometimes I don't even say anything because it just angers him even more. And so I asked for God to give me guidance on that. But once the storm passes, he's usually like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I really apologize. And he's never violent or anything. It's just sometimes if you are in your old self and it's thinking it's all about you, um, then it can be hard. However, God has really helped me. And he's helped change my heart. And I, I think I can listen to people now and sympathize and empathize and um, look for ways to, to be of greater service to them. And then I also learn a lot about myself, too, because I, I used to do the exact same thing. I mean, they say if you spot it, you got it, right? And it, it's just so exciting because that victim mentality is slowly falling away. And it just opened up a greater door to walk through of recovery. And I would say that it opens up a greater door to the fourth dimension where things are very peaceful in my head and 
there's not a lot of fear. And I used to have tremendous amount of anxiety. I told my sponsor that I think I'm just resigned to the fact that I'm always going to be anxious and I'm okay with living with that anxiety and having attacks. And she laughed to herself. You know, she didn't laugh to me. She's like, oh, okay. You know, and a few months later, if not a year, you know, I was like, hey, Ruth, I haven't, she asked me about my anxiety and I went, you know, I haven't had an anxiety attack and I really don't feel that anxious anymore. And that's what I'm talking, that's what I'm saying, you know. We don't even recognize that we're living in the fourth dimension sometimes, but when we when we have a sponsor that stops us and, you know, has us focus on something, like with just one question, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, oh, it, it's, it's just amazing, you know, how things um, have changed. So, I'm just sort of like, okay, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, um, that has changed. And so I can, um, you know, as much as he wants people to understand him, it reminds me of a prayer that we have. You know, don't seek to be understood, but seek to understand. And uh, and I pray that for him. And I'm like, you know, help me to be the person that can reach in and and not be contentious with him or not beat him over the head for being anxious or angry um and just have me be the person that um i need that he needs me to be and it also made me think too that oh, i had this thought i was just thinking you know well, if i could grab it it just was like this fleeting thought oh it'll come back to me but um you know it's just as you go throughout the day, these things just come come at you, and you do have a choice now. Um, where before, I think, if when I was in the addiction of food and alcohol, um, that choice was taken away, and and now I, I just love that God has reordered my will and given it back to me, and I'm exercising the will along His, and that I have a higher power that I check in with. And um, then I'm able to be useful, um, that God is, is walking with me, and I'm walking with God instead of spitting in his eye. Um, and life is so much, more be- is so much better, um, even with these difficult circumstances in the world. I, you know, I don't know how this pandemic's going to pan out. Um, I remember my grandmother's stories of the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. And, you know, it was like two or three years, she said. Um, her, my grandfather stopped, you know, going to school in eighth grade because of it because they closed the schools down here in the St. Louis area. Much like, you know, what's happened here. I remember these stories. And uh, but she said there was a greater level of love, of resiliency, of um, perseverance Um, everybody had to come together Um, she remembers her mother taking in three or four orphans because their parents died the week prior Um, and that they you know they they needed some place to stay and an adult to watch them because they were small you know um, we're so blessed that we have what we have and um, I never want to take anything for for granted. 
Um, and, you know, all the glory goes to God. Um, without this, none of this could have happened. Um, so don't ever think that it's just, it's not me. <laughs> I'm just speaking of God's goodness and his faithfulness and, and grace. You know, grace is something that we're given and we don't deserve. You know, because when we think about it, just look at your stuff for. <laughs> That's who you are, you know. And and those things will become less and less. Um, however, they're still there. They're still there. And it, they're taken away in God's timing. Um, and it, it, it's just a beautiful life. It, it's just a peaceful life now. And uh, I don't get my peace from anything that's happening in the world. Um, I get my peace from praying and meditating each day and, and walking with, with God and doing his will and just being a geek about things, you know, like I'm just such a geek. I mean, who goes, who goes to a store? Who, who gives me the idea just to go to a store and see where I can be helpful and give a word of encouragement or the park um, oh, quick story. We went out to Colorado a couple weeks ago. We decided to take our dog, Finn. She's seven months. At the time, she was almost eight months old. I couldn't leave my baby girl, my baby puppy at home and have my son take care of her because he's not going to take care of her like I. I'm still in control of that. <laughs> anyway, so we didn't know how traveling with a seven-month-old puppy would be. And she's a Wheaton Terrier, so she's high energy. She's a herding dog but cute. She's so cute and floofy. Just love her. And everywhere we went, oh my gosh, what kind of dog is that? Oh, can I pet her? I'm like, of course you can. I think we met, I lost track at 352, but we met 352 people. And Finley brought such happiness. Because she is just, she gets up on her two hind legs and she jumps up and down and she sticks her tongue out and she's so happy to see them. She is nothing but energy and love. I have to meet you. I have to touch you with my paws. I have to lick your face to show I'm so excited to see you. Just you. I mean, who can't resist a cute, floofy, lovey dog, you know? And she's so fluffy right now. She's got five inches of pure Fluff, you know, soft-coated wheat interior, appropriately named. And, I mean, and I can't tell you, I'm going to cry again. I would say most of these people started tearing up because they needed that. We have a hurting world. Thank God for Finn, you know, and we got her at the certain time that we got her. And, you know, God gave us the idea to take her. And we got to talk to so many people and meet so many lovely people, wonderful people, all different races, all different beliefs, coming together. Um, and, and a lot of them just needed something happy, something to remind them of God's goodness. And that was Finn. And I wasn't sure of, I was going to make her into a touch therapy dog or we were going to do agility. And I, my husband's like, you know, 
we wouldn't have met all these wonderful people had it not been for Finn. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I think, what do you think? I, I think we, we turn her into a touch therapy dog. He's like, yeah, yeah. You know, she just needs to not jump on people. <laughs> She's only eight months old. We've got like nine months left. So here again, I'm like, how can I be more like God? How can I exemplify my dog's love to people? You know, how can I be uh, God with skin on, you know, to people? How can I love them and, and serve them? How can I give them a word of encouragement? Um, and I think, you know, I can bring in Finley and we can go to hospitals and, you know, veterans homes. And we used to do that with Chloe and, uh, you know, it was such a huge thing, but I I wasn't recovered and I didn't, you know, understand. I didn't see like all these miracles and I just see so many miracles all around. Um, and it, it is such a privilege. It really is such a privilege and what a wonderful life. So I encourage everybody to, you know, see where they're being a victim. And is that true? Ask yourself, is that true? Are you truly a victim? Are you a victim of your own delusion? And then ask God for help. Employ the help of other people. Call your sponsor. Look for other people to help. Um, and then, you know, write down where this victim mentality is and how it plays out. And look for the solution. Where is the solution? Well, it's in the big books. It says the solution. <laughs> Getting connected to a power greater than yourself. You know, how are you doing that each and every day? And then, you know what? Write down where these victim mentality, where this victim mentality is, um, you know, becoming less and less. And how is it changing? You know, how are, how are you turning from the victim to somebody who's encouraging, somebody who's playing out God's wonderful plan? So, you know, that's a little bit of homework for everyone if you want to do that. Um, I'm doing it all the time because I need it. And I read Dr. Paul O's story. It's page 417 on the fourth edition, but 447 to 453 on the third. And uh, I read that every day. Somebody um, in AA said, you know what, Steph? You need to read that every day until you don't need to read it. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, this was like four years ago. And uh, gosh, I need to read it every day. <laughs> and I told him that, and he goes, that's the idea stuff. I know that you need to read it every day because I needed to to read it every day. I went, oh, even after 40 years of being entirely, you know, abstinent and sober, he goes, yeah, yep. Even after 40 years, because it just keeps me grounded. It keeps me where my feet are and here and now. And I said, ah, oh, wonderful. So with that, I'll pass and I wish and I pray for everybody on the line. So thank you so much, everyone. I love you. Thank you, Stephanie, for such a beautiful presentation. So inspiring, thought-provoking, and faith-filled. Thank you for sharing your experience with all of us today. The share ID for today's presentation, 17,768. That's 17768. Stephanie's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Stephanie by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. 
Ginger C. Ginger. Barbara P. Barbara P. Carla C. Carla C. Anyone else? All right, well, let's begin with Ginger C. Thanks, Leah, for your service. And Stephanie, oh, huge hug to you and a huge thank you. That was absolutely beautiful. And I loved every second, and I'm so grateful you did not relapse. Um, we had similar time, and at five years, that great lie won, and I did relapse, and it has been an a hellish nightmare. I had no idea how worse it could get. And it is just God's grace and miracle that today I'm 30 plus days back. And I pray that I never return that amazing gift again. And I love that you mentioned Mark H because he's one of my heroes as well. And his seven days a week, 365, like you don't take a day off with these disciplines. And I love that the big book says, you know, um, see where these religious people are right and make use of what they offer because they have a pretty stable mind. Like you just said, you have some peace there and a soft heart and things are obviously working and me as an addict, things never work. Um, so that's my question to you. This is where this relapse has been a great gift because I had needed and wanted God more than I did six years ago when I was at Virginia Beach. And it's really about a quiet and a dropping and a stopping, not even pausing throughout that day to be with God. And it's not about praying, but praising God. And so I look at the monks and I see their practice. And at Gethsemane in Kentucky, they begin practice with God at 315 in the morning. They do not end praying and singing to God until 745 at night. And throughout those hours, the bells ring and they return back to the chapel to begin connection to God. And you mentioned in your talk, you said every second. And I love that. And I saw so much through your share of how you are thinking of others and how you are packing into this stream. But I want to hear more about how you're packing into God and really just stopping and dropping in that practice, in that sense, throughout the day, not the beginnings with 86 to 88 in meditation, but those minutes to stay connected because your sponsor says we relapse when we let go of God's hand. Mm -hmm. And with that, I pass. So, I mean, you know, you get up in the morning and yeah, I mean, you can have this formal prayer and meditation time where you get on your knees and I mean, that's all fine and good. Um, however, the relapse happens in the seconds between those meditations, right? I mean, if you, if you don't get connected. So, I mean, um, there is this one book and I'm not going to mention it because it's an outside source. Um, but it was talking about a monk, right? And he was back in the 15th century. And this one line in this book said, you know, I find God amongst the pots and the, and the pans in the kitchen and the clattering of, of the fellow monks. And I still have the mind and the presence to think of God. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, am I <laughs> at 315? I mean, Man, that'd be great to get up at 3.15, first of all. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, 
at 3.15, that's crunch time for me at my job. I mean, I'm like focusing. You know, I'm writing a lot of stories. I think, I think I write about 45 to 48 stories every night, and that's a lot of writing. That's also a lot of focus um, on my job. And I have to really remind myself, that's the clattering of the pots and pans, you know, when I'm in the thick of it. And to um, stop, and sometimes it's just a matter of putting like a little chime on your phone, you know, a little alarm. And I do that. I put a little chime, especially when I know it's going to be super busy, you know, so from 2.15 in the morning to about 7.15 in the morning, I have a, every hour, I have a chime go off. And I'm like, stop, pause, you know. And and that's when I say, okay, God, you know, am, am I headed in the right direction here? Um, what do you think about this story? Or uh, sometimes I just don't think much. You know, I, I, sometimes my brain just needs to be quiet. And I just need to breathe and, and let whatever is coming into me, you know, come to my mind, you know, take that as God's, you know, direction. And, uh, and that's what I do throughout the day. And then when I get home, you know, I, I sleep for about, I'm, I'm up to about four hours. So I sleep at 9 a.m. to about 1, one thirty. Sometimes I make it to 2, but not really. Um and then, uh, you know, then I, I go in and I've got a couple of sponsors that call me. Um, and then I just you know, spend time with my husband and then I either go back to bed or I do Taekwondo that night. Um, but, yeah, that's how I'm leaning into God. Um, it's not always the formal times. It's got to be like, um, even when things come up, you know, that you're baffled by, and that's, that's like a cue to pray. Or if you got a fear coming up or something that you just don't know what to do, those are all cues to pray. Um, and pretty soon when you think about that, you're, you're like, all of a sudden the whole day was just spent in prayer. But it wasn't like what you think it ought to be, <laughs> you know. Um, somebody cuts you off in traffic, that's a cue to pray. Um, you know, people are rude, that's a cue to pray. That guy going off on me, well, that definitely was a big cue for prayer. Not for me, <laughs> for him, <laughs> you know, and, and a, a good self-reflection, you know, oh, maybe, yeah, I could ask for more help. How, how can I do that? Because people need to be feel, need to feel wanted and needed, too. I mean, don't we all? Yeah. Hopefully that answered your question. Thank you, Ginger. Barbara P., your turn. Stephanie, hey, thanks so much for your, your talk, and you've really got me thinking. Uh, and I love the topic because I'm thinking about victimness, <laughs> victimhood, uh, and how I relished in that. So I think, you know, as an addict, what I find is, I don't know, this idea of scarcity, like there's just never enough of anything. There wasn't enough food. There's not enough attention. There's not enough... Uh, adornment, you know, and all of that. So I guess I wonder, did you have that experience? Do you feel like some of this victimness comes from that? And if so, it sounds like you're not living in that today. Can you, I don't know, what was your experience with having that change? I mean, I'm guessing a lot of it is going to be prayer, but I don't know, just any tips that you could offer if you dealt with kind of that feeling of scarcity and not enough. Thanks. 
oh yeah. I mean, I could never, I mean, could we never have enough sugar, right? I mean, I could never eat enough cupcakes <laughs> and I could never drink enough vodka and I could never have enough money and I could never have enough love and I could never have enough adoration and I could never have enough time off. Nothing was ever good enough for me. Um, and that's where the gratitude came in. And, you know, we heard it decades ago in the 80s, you know, when that talk show was on. And we worshipped the woman on the talk show. And remember she said, oh, I have a gratitude journal and it is life-changing, you know. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's right. But did I do it? No. No, I didn't do it. And um, really just this past year, uh, the gratitude, looking for things that you are grateful for, ushers you into a whole different dimension. I cannot tell you how it's going to look for you. I can only describe that it's it's just so good. <laughs> it's sort of like trying to describe childbirth to you, you know, but you can't describe it. You have to live it. So you're just going to have to, you know, just – Write down what you're grateful for. Maybe add in why you're grateful for it. Um, and look for different ways to be grateful every day. It's like don't write the same thing down and just make it a mindless, you know, ritual, right? Um, that's what really changed my perspective. Um, and it, it really changed everything. It, it just made the spiritual experience that much better, that much deeper, um, it opened my eyes to how God was working, but not always understanding why or what he was doing, but still being okay with that. Um, and, and realizing, too, we've all had scarcity in this pandemic, right? I mean, some of us are unemployed. Some of us are living in our cars. Um, some of us have not had, you know, certain things, Um and we get fearful over that. Um, was you know, my sponsor gave me a, a four a package of toilet paper? It was four rolls. I mean, I was so grateful for, you know, because I was down to the last roll. And she had something on sale, and she gave it to me. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> um, and then I was able to, you know, when the toilet paper mafia <laughs> stopped buying it all, um, you know, then. Uh, <laughs> Then, I mean, I was able to give away that which I was so fearful of not having. Um, how did that happen? Well, I mean, somebody showed kindness to me, and I was able to accept it. And then I was able to show kindness to other people, and they were able to accept it. So, I mean, it's it's kind of magical, that wonderful circleness of recovery, um, where we keep giving, and we keep getting, and we keep giving, and we keep getting more and more, and we keep giving more and more. It's, it's a wonderful cycle to be in rather than the circle of addiction, you know, where we're just spiraling down. Um, you know, Ruth talks about that many times in her talks. Um, we're talking about that circle of addiction. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I got out of the scarcity was gratitude. Um, nothing ushers you into God's presence faster is my experience um, than gratitude. Thanks for the question, Barbara P. Next question comes from Carla C. Or one to unmute. 
Thank you so much for um, the vision program. I'm so grateful. And um, Ms. Stephanie, I'm here. The thing that that uh, that got me into the family. I hear so much of what you're saying is what's going on in my life, and you understand. And I hear you connecting to your higher power. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, the question I was going to ask you about how you um, handle your preparation for work, you have already answered. And I just wanted to tell you how deeply grateful I am to be on the call this morning. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Who else has a question for Stephanie this morning? Questions only. Star one to unmute. Le- Leah S. Mm-hmm. Leah. Uh, Nora D. Nora D. Mm-hmm. One more. Jody E. And Jody E. Okay. Suzanne K. We'll squeeze you in, Suzanne. Thank you. Leah S., go ahead with your question. Thank you very much. First of all, thank you very, very much, Leah M., for your unending faithful service. Leah S., I believe we lost you. Star one to unmute. Oh, I was talking. I there was we talking go. Away. <laughs> go ahead with your question. Sure. Thank you. Okay, so... Um, I think you did touch, Stephanie, a little bit about what I wanted to ask about, but I wonder if you can um, expand on it. How do you really deal with the nitty-gritty of the, um, you mentioned 12 deaths that you had to deal with. Um, uh, Just uh, how do you expand a little bit more on, on that topic? Thank you. Do me a favor. Can you ask that question one more time? I didn't quite understand the 12, what was it, 12? Um, deaths that you had experienced. Oh, um, deaths. Of close okay. people. Uh, I, I just, I wanted to, um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I guess we all went through our own, you know, but um, I, I, I don't mind yeah. because I hear yeah. such joy in your voice and I... I Thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, um, it's hard. I think um, I dealt with a lot of death to dreams with my son when he was um, going through his hard time. Because he was like this really good baseball pitcher. He threw a 98-hour fastball. He was talented in upright base you know um he was just a great kid and he still is but going through that hard time with him i had to give up my dreams for him that was like the first thing that living through those deaths to the dream taught me and how to grieve people and so i had to give up my right to have those dreams for him and then I had to take up what God had in store for Gregory. Um, and he was working in my son's life, much like what he was working through mine. 
and I learned how to grieve. And, and the other program, Al-Anon, <clears throat> taught me how to grieve. And the first thing about grief that I've learned is that it can't be avoided. You know, it's like, man, you just go through it. Don't try to dictate what you should be feeling or, you know, put a time limit on it. Um, it's something that can't be avoided, and you have to accept it. And that's why I brought up Dr. Paul O's story. You know, acceptance is the key. Um, I can't change these people and, and them dying. You know, it's something I cannot change. And um, that was the end of that's the end of their journey, their story. And you know, if I'm trusting God, um, if I have enough faith in Him, then I I know that they they're being taken care of in Him. Um, but I I didn't uh, I felt the feelings. You know, I didn't try to numb them because that would be taking back control, and that's not following the program. Um, I was trying to, uh, you know, the first couple I was trying to say, okay, well, um, I'm only going to grieve for six weeks and then, you know, <laughs> it's going to be it. And uh, that's trying to control outcome. And uh, I think, too, if I knew the family well enough, um, I, I reached out and then I tried to help the family of the person that died. And that helps, too. Um, because it gets your mind off of your grief um, in the sense that, you know, you're not pitching up a tent, you're not getting into self-pity and thinking all about yourself and how their death, you know, affects you because um, that's self-centeredness. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I had to walk a fine line not getting into self-centeredness in their death, but also reaching out to the family and and, and just going through the thick of it and understanding um There's lessons to learn. Um, and one lesson, too, that I learned is God is very close to the brokenhearted. You know, um, he was close to me when we were going through, and my husband, uh, when we were going through Greg's difficulties for about four years. You know, and now our son is clean and sober, and um, he's got some issues still, of course. Um, however, we're much better footing than we were before. <laughs> Um, he's doing it remarkably well, uh, and I've given up the dreams. You know, he's got his own life, and he's got to live it. So um, that's how I got through grief: is just not trying to sidestep it, and understanding that there's five stages or six stages or you know how many of our stages. I mean, they all come in different times, and uh, you know, people would say, "Oh, aren't you getting over your best friend's?" You know death and I went no not really she she was a lot to me and even my dog Chloe you know people are like you're really sad over this dog and it's just a dog and I'm like yeah well she was more than a dog for me you know um so I never say that to people like there's got to be a time limit you know there's not you just learn to live without them and you learn to live uh, with a good memory you know um, so, yeah, that's how I, I'm getting through this now. Thank you, Leah S., for your question. Nora D., your turn to pose a question. 
Hi, um, hi. This is Nora. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for your uh, service and use to Leah. I could identify with a lot of things you spoke about. Your son. I have three children who are now in program, mm. and uh, <clears throat> and um, in the food program and Al-Anon. Um, mm-hmm. I have. I'm going on a trip with two of my sisters. I have seven siblings, and um, they're very dynamic people. And I keep seeing myself as a victim. I didn't understand it until you started talking. You know, like I'm building up my defense because I know a lot of stuff's going to come my way. And I keep thinking how I'm going to adjust to it. And um, I really love being with them. It's a lot of fun. But I give up myself often just so I can fit in. And uh, that's not, I don't want to do that. So I, I, at the same time, I, I don't want to be a victim. So, um, I need to hear everything you have to say and anything more you want to say to me. When you get to your family, um, man, I don't have siblings, so I, you know, um, but I can understand I've got cousins, you know, and sometimes we play into these roles that we got accustomed to having when we were growing up. And, um, God said to me one time, you know, he goes, you're grown up. Um, good, morning. good morning. I'm sitting outside, guys, so I just wrote to a neighbor. Sorry. Um, I don't have to play into the role that I thought was assigned to me as a kid. Um, you know, I was a child and I did childish things and I did, you know, but now I'm old and I'm, I've grown up and I don't have to play into those roles that um, I used or I fit into just to survive in the family. Maybe the family was dysfunctional, maybe it wasn't, but there were certain unhealthy patterns of my family. And, you know, I, I um, when I go back to my mom and dad's house, now they are not my cup of tea either, but I love them. H- however, I love them. Um, do I want to spend every waking moment with them, like my my husband or my best friend? No, <laughs> no. <clears throat> it was just a gradual process of asking God to show me the condition of my heart, unhealthy patterns, and then helping me not to live them out. Um, and to have courage, you know, and the strength to not fall in to wanting to fit in or, you know, I mean, like for me, it was like, I just wanted to have peace and I was going to have peace no matter what. Well, I mean, that doesn't really, when you're giving up your peace to have peace, there's no peace. And that was a lie I was telling myself. So I was asking God, show me the condition of my heart where I'm lying to myself and then help me to, um, you know, like my dad will say something and I know that that's not true, but that's his delusion. <clears throat> and, you know, do I call him on the carpet for it or do I gently just say to him, you know, that's not how I remember it. But is my memory that reliable either? Because I was doped up on sugar, you know. So sometimes, a lot of times, I just say, I go, that's an interesting perspective, you know. And I said, I don't know if I really remember it that way, but you know what, who who knows? I mean, memories are really unreliable. <laughs> and I leave it go. I mean, do I have to be right all the time? No. <laughs> and I, I also ask myself this question too, and I learned this from 
dealing with Gregory, am I going to preserve the relationship or am I going to be right? You know, because sometimes being right, you find yourself being alone and then you don't have that relationship. So, I mean, you have to ask those questions of yourself. Am I willing just to lay down some things and just, you know, we fail to fight anybody or anything, right? It says it in the big book. We fail to fight anybody or anything. <clears throat> so, I mean, does it matter? You know, as long as you can honor God, you know, our main focus is just to honor God and do his will. And I think the rest of it will take care of itself. Um, but you have to be self-aware <clears throat> and see, you know, what what patterns do you, do you think you're going to fall into? And maybe it's good to anticipate, but it's not good to like ruminate. And, you know, I find myself getting into this, like I'll think about like what something might happen and then I figure out there's their response and here's my response and then I get aggravated because I'm like fighting with them and I haven't even been in their house yet <laughs> so watch out for that because I'm an expert at that um, I don't know if you do that but I do <clears throat> anyway hopefully that was helpful thank you yes. uh, Nora yes, for your thank question you. thank you Jody E., let's see if we can get in your question before we wrap things up here. Go ahead, Jody. All right. Thank you, Leah. And thank you, Stephanie, so much. I will just try to make it brief here. Obviously, you have managed to become spiritually fit. That is apparent. I loved what you said about how you can return your husband's anger with compassion, for example and how you can have shifted from victim to not a victim. So what would you say helps you to stay in fit spiritual condition more than anything else or one of the most important things? You mentioned gratitude. You also mentioned step three. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe, maybe I'd like to know more about your third step. Yes, that's my question. Thank you. <laughs> I come from a long line of family members who want to run the show themselves. And I come from a long line of um, family members who just want to, um, you know, want to play. And I'm not blaming my family. I'm just learning that when I was little, I learned that, you know, it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. <clears throat> and so I've spent the rest of my life <laughs> kind of unlearning what I picked up in childhood <clears throat> that was actually really service, I mean, servicing me because <clears throat> my childhood was at such that, you know, I did need to take some control, I thought, in order to just survive. <clears throat> so, but I learned that stuff that I picked up no longer is useful to me as an adult and to anybody else and certainly not in God's kingdom. Um, the thing that comes to my mind every day is seek first his kingdom and all these things will be given unto you. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his will and the rest takes care of itself. Um, read pages 86 to 90 in the big book. You know, there's very clear and wonderful directions. And you don't even have to make it like in the morning or at night. I mean, sometimes I do it all when I get home from work or when I wake up at 2 p.m., 
you know, 10-step work or, you know, um, I do some of it when I wake up, you know, but I got to get to work, you know. So, I mean, I, I have, you just make it work um, according to your schedule. <clears throat> um, and that's some really good advice right there. And then after you get to page um, 98, no, it's 88, sorry, 88. Um, from page 88 on, one through, you know, from the very beginning of the big book to page 88, it's all about you, right? From 89 to the appendices, it's like 573 pages, you know, <laughs> it's all about working with others. And why do you think they did that? You know, it's all about others. And so when you work with others, when you give to others, when you're other-minded, um, magical things happen. The fourth dimension is is apparent sometimes. You know, I don't. Um, but that's how. I guess that's how I want to to answer that question. Um, you know, paying attention more to others than yourself. And you can't do that unless you get through all the 12 steps and being thorough with them. I had a sponsor that was very thorough. Um, we always double-checked and triple-checked, you know, are you experiencing the promises of the steps? So that's what I... It's a little bit of an additional information. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, Jody E, and thanks to all who pose questions, and I certainly encourage those who have questions to speak with Stephanie on a conversation in the future. Thank you, Stephanie, so much for your beautiful presentation this morning. So inspiring and uplifting, and a reminder that the whole goal is a relationship with a power greater than ourselves as we understand that power. Thank you so very, very much. We're going to close from page 164. It's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.